On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Now, there's been a lot of talk during the week uh, about the North Inner City and what's going to happen to different parts of it and it's going to form part of our Hidden History section today. Uh, very interesting, both topical and historical reflections. I'm here with Donald Fallon, of course, who is the author of a new book coming out soon called uh, Lamplighters of the Phoenix Park. He's also the host of Three Castles Burning, the podcast. And we're talking this week about news, at least news. We have to see it fully confirmed and in the bag, but that there may be a Harry Clark Museum set to be opened up in Dublin City. Dublin City Council is keen to honour or Clark, undoubtedly I suppose we could call him one of the most celebrated and talented Irish stained glass artists of his age and today his work is to be found in some surprising places yes we all know about Bewley's but what about other places far and beyond even this island, um, it's not just stained glass windows also he was involved and Donald is with me here today. Donald, uh, good morning to you Good to be here. It's been a, a bad week for Dublin's North Inner City, as we know, <laughs> and that's putting it mildly. We won't go into all of that now, but you actually have some possible good news. Yeah, I mean, what's going on? I mean, I'm poster vacating uh, the General Post Office, which is big, big news. Uh, the Pro Cathedral is even on the move <laughs> to to Westland Row. And look, there doesn't seem to be any let off, does there, in, in, in negative coverage around O'Connell Street and the surroundings. So isn't it nice to have something positive and promising? Uh, to talk about. But yeah, there's been a lot of talk in recent years around the Parnell Square, what they're calling the Creative Quarter. New library for the city, new performance space, amongst other things. Uh, And Parnell Square, I mean, no one really knows what to do with it. I mean, the area's just lost the museum, which was the very old-fashioned, very dusty, but kind of, in its own way, very uh, endearing Irish Writers Museum. So if that's gone, uh, now the idea has emerged of putting in a new museum honouring Harry Clark. And look, for reasons we'll get into today, I think this is an absolutely uh, brilliant idea because, as you said, his work is celebrated right across the world, not just here uh, at home. Yeah, a lot of people probably have sat and had a, a sticky bun in Bewley's and seen his windows right beside them. Maybe they didn't notice if they're completely blind and, and culturally Philistines. But, I mean, it's it's such wider his sort of yeah. sphere of influence, isn't it? And what an amazing place, <clears throat> Bewley's. I mean, you've got windows by Jim Fitzpatrick in there as well. Great Jim Fitzpatrick, very influenced by Harry Clark. But there's six really iconic Harry Clark windows in Bewley's. And I don't think there's any other city where you can see that calibre of art as you're having a cappuccino in the morning. It's just absolutely brilliant. Probably the least visited Harry Clark on the island... Uh, is within the chapel of Mountjoy Prison. You don't really want to see that one, do you? No, that's involuntary. <laughs> I did a talk in there once and I said, can I go and see the Harry Clark window? And they brought me to see it. Uh, but they're all over the island. I mean, St Mel's Cathedral in Longford. Remember that fire? I think mm. it was actually Christmas morning, 2009. St Mel's Cathedral in Longford went up. Uh, the Harry Clark survived with a little bit of TLC. Uh, the Little Museum of Dublin have a small Clark Studios piece on display which was rescued from the skip of a government department. Ooh, now, awful, we won't name the government yeah, department. No. But name and shame them. Yeah, isn't, isn't that extraordinary? And then one of the most stunning of all Clarks, it's called the Geneva Window, uh, is displayed in the Wolfsonian Museum in Miami, Florida. Is that just amazing? Yeah, I could see, uh, a, yeah. do you want to go Mountjoy Prison? <laughs> yeah, do you want to go Miami, Miami Florida? Which way do you want to swing on this one? <laughs> and it depicts, you know, Irish writers, Sean O'Casey, Joyce, Lady Gregory, Liam O'Flaherty and others. Uh, the Irish state actually asked Clark to produce it for the International Labour Court in Geneva. And then they said, uh, you know, we're not, we're not so hot in that. And uh, they, they rejected uh, it. Why, why did they reject it? It's why so didn't strange. they like it? There's, there's a great article on it in History Ireland worth quoting. They said, the panel in question featured two naked women. Well, that, that's enough, isn't it? In Ireland in the, in the 20th century. That. The panel in question features two naked women, but it was the overall character of the window that caused concern. There was a feeling that the image of Ireland presented was not a desirable one. Amongst the writers featured were Protestants wow, and so Catholics of dubious morality, like Liam O'Flaherty and James Joyce, as well as nudity, the window portrayed poverty 
poverty, prostitution, drinking and dancing, not things the government wanted associated with Ireland. I don't know what Clark was thinking, uh, submitting what he did. It was a beautiful piece of work. And yeah, I mean, look, the, the state turned it down. So it ended up in the Wolfsonian. But I mean, this guy's work is in our cathedrals, our prisons, our galleries, and even in, in, in Miami. Isn't that just incredible? Yeah, look, if you, you stop anyone and say stained glass artwork, they'll throw out his name. But we don't know a lot about him. So just give us a bit of a basic biographical yeah, sketch. he himself, uh, you know, he's the son of an English stained glass artist. That's not really, unco- that's not uncommon. I mean, there's often artists who come to Dublin and uh, apply their trade in it. Uh, so James Pierce is the father of Patrick and Willie Pierce. He was a monumental sculptor who came to Dublin from Birmingham. There was also, I mean, there was Italian stucco workers going way back. It wasn't uncommon for an artist to arrive in Dublin and kind of find a gap in the market and, and set up to fill that gap. But Joshua Clark, Harry's dad, you know, his work is around the city as well. Got a lovely window in the Mansion House in Dublin, uh, which has got a new mayor, of course, with the, the city coat of arms. And Harry's dad set up a 33 North Frederick Street, which, you know, nicely is literally around the corner from Parnell Square and the, the proposed site uh, for this new museum. So that was the place, you know, where, where the windows were, were produced. And my God, they could produce them in incredible numbers. And once they did that and got sort of physically established, that's when the things really started to take off and shine for them. I think it's one thing to be, you know, really good uh, at something, but it's another thing to be good at managing something. And, and Harry Clark at both of those things. Not only could he produce the windows, but he was able to, to, to run the company very, very effectively. So he studied stained glass at the Dublin Metropolitan School of Art, but I really think it's what the, the real education is in the family business, uh, if you know what I mean. And when the parents go, it becomes Harry Clark Stained Glass Studios Limited. That name is kind of important because not everything that comes out of it is made by Harry himself. You know, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, like Water for Crystal. It's pumping out. There's yeah. a load of workers that are producing the goods. But it's a very small and dedicated team, I suppose, as well. And even now, there's sometimes confusion around some windows. People say, oh, is that a Harry Clark or is that a Harry Clark Studios? But I don't think it's all that important, the distinction. You know, it's beautiful, beautiful work. And Clark ultimately stood over everything that came out uh, off the place. But I think what really set him apart was that he drew on really beautiful influences beyond just Irish stuff. You know, what was happening in Europe at the time. You know, his, his biographer has this lovely line that he arrived at artistic maturity at a moment when the Irish arts and craft movement had lost its vigour. In other words, everyone in Ireland was making the same stuff, the same Celtic revival stuff. But Clark's was different. You know, Clark, Clark's stuff was dipping into kind of European style as much as anything Irish. Yeah, and we think of him glass, 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 but he's in uh, other genres, books in particular, illustrating them, and we don't know as much about them. They're not, they're not as fanfare. Like, not just any books. Edgar Allan Poe, like, there's a name, you know, <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe, Tales of Mystery and Imagination. He illustrates that. And we think about stained glass, because stained glass is so vivid, isn't it? In colour, it's in a cathedral, it, it, it pops in colour. But actually, in black and white, these illustrations are brilliant. Fairy Tales by Hans Christian Andersen. I mean, these are just extraordinary names, you know, from, from everyone's childhood, whether we remember them or not. Hans Christian Andersen, Edgar Allan Poe. And then this beautiful one that I sent in to you this morning, The, the Last Hour of the Night from 1922, uh, which is Dublin. And it looks like Nosferatu, doesn't it? This kind of <laughs> haunting figure standing over Dublin with the rickety tenement block on one side uh, and you know the destroyed buildings of the Irish Revolution uh, on the other. I'll tweet that one out, actually, for anyone to see it. But it's, it's not what you think of a stained glass artist uh, producing, is it? And he's just as good in black and white and in the pages of a book as he is on the, on the, the walls of a cathedral. You know, I had a vague sense that he had died young and then I was um, kind of thinking about it and what killed a lot of people in their youth and in their prime in Ireland and in Britain as well was TB and this is unfortunately what struck down Harry Unbelievable. Clark. Unbelievable. For, for the amount of Harry Clarks, like, you literally, as you said, you could go from Longford to Miami and see them everywhere you go. They're all over the world. He dies 
at 41 years of age which is absolutely extraordinary when you think about it. Struck down by TB in his final years. And he did what many people did with, with TB. He kind of went abroad to a sanatorium in Switzerland. Uh, but he dies in 1931, 41 years of age, which is just amazing. And in recent years, there's been a kind of massive, phenomenal resurgence of interest in him for all kinds of reasons. Uh, you got a national gallery and they very prominently display uh, his work uh, in there. Really beautiful books produced on him. Dark Beauty, fantastic book. But you have to you have to wonder, like, could he have maintained that level of output? He produced so much stuff, so varied. Would it have been possible to keep working or would he have had to slow down to a slower pace? But there was incredible potential still there. And, and to die at 41 years of age, really at the, the height of his skill and ability, is just remarkable. Now, as you said, um, Parnell Square needs some urgent revitalisation, not just in the physical fabric, but just culturally as well. Mm. Can this museum, first of all, do you think it'll happen? And will it be a commercial and, you know, just in terms of patronage of it? Uh, it, all comes down to the, it all comes down to Dosh, doesn't it, all the time? And look, I mean, he's an artist that people travel to admire his work. There was a book, a book in Japanese last year did very well, Harry Clark, an imaginative genius. And I always say, you know, an artist is, is popular when they're in the National Gallery of Ireland, that's one thing, when they're also in the much-loved National Gallery of Ireland gift shop, which is amazing. Exit through the gift shop, you know, and you see which artists have made that leap into a, a different level of consciousness for us, you know, Jack B. Yeats, Mainy Jellet, and, and, and Harry Clark is there. I mean, he's some, everyone loves Harry Clark, and the idea of a museum to him is a great one, but it's all the better that it's in the North Inner City, and as you said in the beginning, you know, we need things like it in the North Inner City. We need to revitalise Parnell Square, and if one museum is gone, Let's pave the way for another. Okay, well, listen, I'm sure you're always looking around for book ideas and uh, Harry Clark's influence on the city of Miami is, uh, has <laughs> real potential. I'll do, I'll do a six-month research I could do the Parnell Square one as the succession <laughs> book then after that. But for now, thank you very much, Donald I, I, Fallon. I love the name of their museum, Smithsonian, Wolfsonian. Yeah. They, just, they just sound so great, don't they? <laughs> uh, thank you very much to Donald for that here in Hidden Histories. He is the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast, author of 14 Henrietta Street, and also author of a brand new book which is forthcoming called Lamplighters of the Phoenix Park, which will be in bookshops and on the shelves shortly. On the record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.